And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tamp, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Oh, right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with yet another trade deadline season pod. Uh, We're going to make the rounds, talk about the latest buzz and action on that front. Kind of slow to this point, but still plenty to talk about. Talk about the goings-on around the league. We have, as always, on the West Coast, Anthony Slater. On the East Coast, Fred Katz. And also on the East Coast, the one, the only, Milwaukee Bucks extraordinaire slash beat writer, Eric Name. What's up, sir? I think I'm technically in the middle. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself an East Coaster. Bro, I'm like, I'm, West, I'm, I'm a West Coaster. You're all just over there. <laughs> That's all it is. Fair. Okay. Fair enough. Are you home right now? Or are you in the actual city of Milwaukee? Yeah. No, I'm in Milwaukee right now. Okay. Little little homestand before I come out west and uh, maybe join you guys in LA. I don't yes. know. Are, are you coming through for the LeBron like whole hoopla scoring whole thing? record? Yeah, listen to the tone. You guys hear the tone and names voice like ah the LeBron hoopla all that rigmarole. Yeah, I mean you're you're <laughs> in it. I'm not in it. Like I I can see it going on. Sure, sure. All right, think, thank you. For- I think he's uh, basing that off the theatrics we saw post. Uh, Oh man! The other oh night. man! Yeah. Anybody? I've, all right, I've had I've had many sleepless nights, my my guys. Yeah. Many sleepless <laughs> nights. Hey, you don't got to talk to me about you know LeBron's platform being on a different level. So when he complains about the refs, and I've obviously lived it a few weeks ago, you know now you got the referees association <laughs> tweeting about how remorseful they are. You got incredible memes about. I don't know if I even ever watched the movie Little Miss Sunshine, but did you guys see the the uh, side-by-side clip of that actress, you know, or actor, I forget, just screaming and crying, you know, and, and it just having a, a hell of a resemblance to LeBron's complaining uh, post-regulation. Yeah, that was... I'm just was imagining... Sick. I'm just imagining like the the sleepless nights. I'm just imagining like Scott Zach Zarba. <laughs> yeah, just like Zach Zarba rolling around in bed. Like the kids are late for school the next day. They have to write a note to the teachers, just being like, sorry, missed missed a call midway through the third quarter. The kids are not going to be able to be in school the, the next because day. Because of this, the Lakers might not make the playoffs. 
And to be honest, you know, maybe that is something the league should lose some sleep over. That's what's funny <laughs> about this whole thing. Like, the league doesn't want the Lakers in the playoffs. Right. Listen, man, I've said this before, but I'm always fascinated by the business side of the game. And, you know, the conversation of Lakers and uh, Fred, this is a swear jar moment. Like, what are we doing? We're talking Lakers when Eric's on to talk Bucks. Here we go. But, like, the Lakers need to get to the first round to break even financially, which always cracks me up. Like, they, you know, it ain't even about contending for a title at this point. It is a disaster for them economically every time they don't even get to the playoffs. And I'm sure that emotionally is really what was uh, on LeBron's mind in that moment. Yes, yes. He was yes. definitely thinking, man, we're going to be in the red because of this. <laughs> that's that's what he was thinking. All right, let's get to the topic at hand. Um, here's where my head is at, guys. I watched that Sixers-Nuggets game, and man, was that a lot of fun. It was really cool. Just Saturday afternoon showcase-type, old-school, ABC-style. You know, kudos to the league for for framing it the way they did. And, you know, and and I you shouldn't have to say this, but kudos to the Stars for actually playing. You know what I mean? You know, full squads. I believe on both sides, Joel Embiid goes out and is just absolute beast mode. And in terms of a moment among MVP candidates, you know, without question gets the best of the back-to-back MVP, Nikola Jokic. So Embiid, you know, helps his MVP candidacy. Philly as a group and as a team looks that much more legitimate as a title contender. Um, but you know, the way this pod stream works, we try not to duplicate, uh, duplicate too much. They talked a ton about, Joel and the Sixers on yesterday's <laughs> pod, and and so I wanted to take it the Bucks direction because to me, uh, I'm dying to get Eric your thoughts on, you know how you see Giannis right now, how you see the Bucks right now. Um, before I throw it to you, shameless plug, you have a very good as always one on one interview with Giannis that uh, that should be on the site today, probably is by the time we put the pod out. Am I good framing it that way? Is that yeah. okay? Okay. Yeah. So you were nice enough to show me a little early preview, and it it kind of segues perfectly into this discussion and uh and i'll break it down like this like Giannis is averaging 31 12 and 5 roughly uh that has happened three times previously in the history of the game uh that sounds pretty elite that sounds pretty special that sounds like a guy that you would think we're, we're talking about as an mvp front runner but a not only are we not although i'll be honest i'm seriously looking at him right now he's in the discussion but but he's not the guy we're talking about. And then B, to read your interview, man, that was like, it's like if my kids came home with a bunch of A minuses on the report card and I'm telling them they're grounded for two months. You know, like that interview was, you know, and this is why he's great, is that it's you and him nitpicking the hell out of his own game and talking about, you know, oh, by the way, here's all the ways that he can still get better. But but give us kind of your sense of where he's at and how all that unfolds. I mean, I think honestly, it um, it kind of sets the tenor for the entire Bucks season, right? Like the the Bucks just exist, and everyone knows they're good. But you know, if you don't pay much attention, you have no idea that Chris Middleton's played ten games. You have no idea that Joe Ingles has played like twenty games. You have no, you don't really know any of the details. You just know the Bucks are generally good, and they're gonna be good, and they're gonna be in the championship hunt. And yet, it's kind of been a rough season for them. They, they've kind of gone through some stuff. Giannis is great. As you said, 31.7 now, I believe uh, third in the NBA in scoring. And that's the most he's ever averaged in his career. It's two more points than he averaged per game last year. 
And yet, when you talk to him and when we talked, our focus was the fact that he can't really make a jump shot right now. He hasn't been able to do the stuff that he normally does in the mid-range. He hasn't been able to hit threes like he has. Last night, I think he, he scores 50. Again, Giannis scored 50, and I'm talking about the negatives here, but the, this is just kind of where he's at. He scores 50, and he goes 3 of 4 from the three-point line, and it bumped up his three-point percentage by like 3%, I believe. Like That's how small the sample size is, but also just how not well he shot uh, this season. And that, I think, kind of just sets the whole tone for what you're talking about with this Bucks team. They're two and a half games back of the Boston Celtics. They are tied for a second in the East. And more often than not, it feels doom and gloom. It feels like, oh man, can we can we catch some breaks? Can we get something to, to go right here? And it's fair to think through, right? Like Chris Middleton comes back for the first night all year long, last Monday in Detroit. Whole roster is ready to go, other than Serge Ibaka, who's upset that he's not playing because the Bucks are good and he's gone. But the rest of the roster, healthy, there, first time. It lasts three quarters. Bobby Portis gets hurt in the fourth quarter, and now he's going to miss probably four to six weeks with a grade two, uh, with a grade two MCL sprain. So, like, it's just this this weird back and forth where they're still good, things are still going well. Giannis is as good as he's ever been from a numbers perspective, but there is just all these little things still kind of picking away at that team where it's like, oh. The offense isn't quite good enough, and the defense has, you know, been good, but then there's still some things to pick on there. Like, to me, the idea that, like you said, honestly, a shade below the top defensive rating in the league, but sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. like that that to me is kind of like the standard that they have set and the standard right. Giannis has set, and that's just like who they are over, you know, pretty much the entire time Mike Boonholzer's been the head coach. So we're talking about the last five years. They're just a great basketball team at all times. But this year, there's like some little stuff that right. you can kind of like pick at. So, Eric, I have a question. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Giannis not shooting as well. And the team, I mean, the offense for their team has been a problem all year. And the easy thing to go do there is just they don't have Chris Middleton. And when they did have Chris Middleton, he was a shell of himself. He's shooting like 32% or whatever it is. And Middleton is is an initiator and he's a bailout guy. Like part of the reason he's so important for them is late in the shot clock, you need a bucket. Give it to Chris Middleton, and he is he is like an underrated three-level scorer. He can legitimately score in any way, and he always makes the right play and is an underrated passer. But if you look at their offense and you look at like their late shot clock offense, it's actually pretty good. Like they're in the top half of the league in effective field goal percentage late in the shot clock. Uh, and you mentioned Giannis not shooting well, but he's also operating totally differently, right? Like he's posting up more, he's dribbling into more jumpers. He's under 40% of his shots are assisted this year, lowest percentage uh, of his career right now. So like how much is is the offense just Middleton not being there? How much of it is is we should worry about Giannis's efficiency, which is obviously still really good, but not the superhuman levels that we've seen the last half decade. Like, do you think there's anything to make of this? And and should we be operating under the assumption that like Middleton is is not going to be Chris Middleton? They're just not going to have the version of him we're used to for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, he's he's now been back on this second stint. So for those that don't know about Chris Middleton and kind of everything that 
has gone on from a national perspective. Uh, Chris Middleton had left wrist surgery over the summer. Uh, he missed the first 20 games of the season trying to get back from it. Uh, it was conditioning problems and like things with his legs, uh, which is strange because he had a wrist injury. Uh, again, it was left wrist surgery. So it was kind of strange that he missed that much time, but whatever. Got back on the floor. He was out there for seven games. Looked awful. Just absolutely awful, missing shots, n- didn't seem to be in like the normal shape that you see him, and he, he just didn't look right. So he went back out, and he missed a, a whole bunch more games. I think it ended up being 16 or 17 by the end of it. Uh, so he's played 10 or 11 games for the Bucks now at this point, uh, and it's the Chris that has come back these four games. He's been back for four games now in the second stint. He's played 15 minutes a night except last night he played 17. They're working him back slowly, but he looks like himself again. He looks like the late shot clock guy. He He's doing his get a touch on the post and he's going to do a fadeaway jumper and you can't touch it. Like he, he looks like himself. So that is helpful. It's just a matter of when does it get stretched out? Like four games of 15 minutes is cool, but... At some point, you're going to need 40 minutes of Chris Middleton. That's what this whole Bucks thing is built on, is 40 minutes of that. So that needs to come back. As far as Giannis, I mean, I think the big thing is he doesn't get anything easy without Chris on the floor. And that is a real problem. Like with Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday is a spectacular player, one of my favorite players to, to cover. He's just really good. But if you see Drew Holiday in a pick and roll with Giannis, you're going to say, go ahead, Drew. Whatever you want, man. You want to go all the way to the rack? Go for it. You want to shoot a mid-range jumper? Go for it. You want a three? Do it. As long as you don't pass it to the world destroyer, we're good. And that's pretty much what happened for the entire time Chris was out. And Drew Holiday was spectacular during that time. He has like a very legitimate case to be an Eastern Conference All-Star this year. And we'll see if the coaches vote him in as such. Uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week the other week. So like he, he has been great, but everyone just decided Giannis isn't going to be able to catch passes that are immediate shots. So no dunks, no alley-oops, no rolls. Like we're just going to stuff everyone in there. You can't get into the to lane. You're going to have to do it some other way. And it's been a bit of a struggle. And we saw Giannis struggle with the shot a little bit early. And then he stopped taking as many jumpers as he normally does and, and just started kind of relying on, I don't want to say the weaknesses, but like the like the major flaw of Giannis is like he just goes right through the wall at all times. And during the regular season the last two years, he's tried to avoid that. He's tried to work on all of his other things, all the, the other stuff that makes his game great. And now it is just like, I'm going to keep running through the wall because that's what we need to win tonight. Right. And, yeah. and I like I'm going to find a way. And that has led him to being less dynamic. Do I think it's a, a problem overall? Maybe I do think it would help if he could hit some jumpers. Uh, that that is going to be something that he needs to do. Um, but overall, I mean, I still think, as Mike Boonholzer has told us many times, there's still a whole lot of season left. Like we right. have a long ways to go until the finish line. So what, what, Slater, I, I do, do think they'll it? get there eventually. Well, I'm just wondering, what is all this basketball talk? It's trade season time. We need to be talking <laughs> transactions here. We need to be talking Jay Crowder for uh, let's second do it. round picks. What? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that would be my well, question, that's right? Going. Let's do it. Yeah, they seem to uh, be by Shams at this point labeled. I would say as the favorite for Jay Crowder, right? I mean that seems to be how it's materializing. Where, where are you at on it? Yeah, I mean I think 
as Shams and I have kind of been tracking this whole thing, it it really feels like it's a situation where the Bucks are a team that knows they're going to have to play Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And if you're going to play Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you need big wings to throw at those two dudes and just encourage them to not get to the rim and somehow get them into turnovers and just kind of like doing the things that, you know, we saw the the Celtics do poorly against the Warriors and other teams in their playoff run last year. And the Bucks know that, right? Like we need a big wing. So who, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And they've zeroed in on Jay Crowder. And I don't, I don't think it's the worst idea uh, because Jay Crowder is playoff proven. He's played in finals. He's, he's done, he's done the stuff. From Marquette right? too, right? From Marquette. From, from Marquette, good friends with Wesley Matthews, uh, also on the Bucks, another old guy on the Bucks. Uh, so like, I, I think they've zeroed in on it. I think it makes a lot of sense for them, but they don't want to give up Grayson Allen and the Suns don't particularly want Grayson Allen. And that's where, as we've gone through this, you've seen, I don't know how many three team configurations, right? Like for the last three months, it's been like, okay, how do the, the Bucks and Suns figure out a third team? I think it was the Rockets for a little while. And, uh, it was the Wizards last week when they're thinking about maybe that's a, like a Rui destination to get him to the Suns. Like all of that has just kind of been like the Bucks not wanting to budge on really giving up anything of, high value, let's say Marjan Bochamp, their first round pick from this year, or their 2029 first round pick, which is the only first round pick they can give up because they traded Drew Holiday, uh, or traded for Drew Holiday, excuse me, and gave away like all of their picks. Uh, So they don't want to give those things up. So it's like, hey, do you want Grayson Allen? Okay, you don't want Grayson Allen. Um, Do you want... Jordan Serge Wara, Ibaka, Jordan Serge Ibaka, Jordan, uh, George Hill. Show uh, Thunder what? highlights of Serge Ibaka. He used to, you know, block <laughs> It's got to be a a somewhat flattering to be, I mean, the Jay Crowder situation obviously has been bizarre. And to be Jay and, and be wondering what your next stop is going to be. And then to have the two teams that faced off in the finals, one of which you used to be on, uh, you know, more formally anyway, um, deciding that you are the difference maker down the stretch, you know, these two, I mean, the Bucks certainly haven't fallen off. The Suns, you know, absolutely have, um, you know, and to have the Bucks looking at it saying, no, I think that's the solution. We've seen what he can do when he's at his best has got to be flattering. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the, the other side of the coin is um, they haven't done it right. Like they, sure. they, ha- they haven't been like, oh man, we need them so bad that we're going to give up something of value. It's just like, Sons, yeah, this it's not offer. a Drew Holiday pursuit. No, Sons, yeah. take it or leave it. And if you don't want it, that's cool. But right. also, no one else in the league wants to give you what you want. So you you can come back. Like you gonna you know return the call now. Like how how are we how are we gonna do this? So uh, I think that's that's the other part of it, right? Because you haven't seen Jay Crowder play in eight months, nine months, somewhere around there. Oh, like yeah. he, he's he you could that, you know we saw with the John Wall situation like. You know, teams get nervous when they haven't seen a guy do his thing. And there's potentially opportunities to see a guy, but more often than not, especially veterans, you know, they're not trying to sit here and and go do an open gym so that you can sleep better at night as you pursue them. They want their reputation to stand for itself, and they want you to take whatever intel their agent gives you and, and trust that, which can be tricky. Sounds like the Suns overplayed their hand 
to be honest. Like, I mean, they've had a little bit of stuff going on, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) They have, but I don't think that's why a Jay Crowder trade hasn't gone down. They've had a pretty high asking price on on Jay Crowder and and have kind of operated, at least, I don't know, correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I don't think I am. They've kind of operated as if as if the price on Crowder is not going to change from November to December to January to February, when we know the rest of the league is now wondering, okay, this guy's in his 30s. Is he in shape? And if he's not in shape, how long is his ramp? It's not just about, is he going to be in shape? It's also whether he's in shape or not in shape, he hasn't played. So he's going to need a ramp up time. Okay, well, depending on what kind of shape he's in, how long is the ramp up time going to be? Are we only going to have him for 20 regular season games? And if we're only going to have him for 20 regular season games when he's on an expiring contract, then why in the world are we giving up all of this value for a dude for 20 games? So it's, you know, if you're doing it in, in November, right at the start of the season, it's not just, and I realize trades rarely happen then, it's not just about, okay, well, you can you can assume he's in better shape than you can at the end of January or beginning of February. It's also about, well, if you're getting him in November, you're getting him for 70 games. And now you're getting him for, for 25, 20. You don't even know. You have to guess before the trade happens. And 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 you don't know what version of him is going to show up. So, so why would you give up a rotation player for him? Why wouldn't you just go salary filler in a second rounder? And, and I think and the Suns have to pull the trigger. They're not just going to let him be a free agent. It's better to get a second rounder for him than nothing. So it, it just, it just, um, well, you know, especially, I, I think quick, that constitutes as overplaying your hand. No, I agree, Fred. But quick context, too. I mean, I do think at this point, because they dragged their feet on getting something done, they are now facing complications that make it even tougher. You know, with the ownership transfer going towards Matt Ispia, I mean, you have a, anytime you have a new owner, they are going to be looking at that cupboard of assets and saying, hold on a minute. I don't even know what I think of this group and this GM and this coach and these players. I've got a long-term, big-picture vision. And so suddenly, if you're anybody negotiating with them, you know, they're they're looking at it differently. That's all there is to it. And, and I think there's more layers to it. Um, so do you think, Eric, uh, and with apologies to Slater, I'm swinging it back to the hoops a little bit. You guys hit on the offense. Like the year they won the title, they were fifth in offensive rating. They're 24th right now. And you know this team, you know, intimately well. And, and you now have that kind of, that experience institutionally of having covered a championship with this group um, in terms of vibe and, and your sense basketball wise, if they, you know, can do what it takes on that end to get it to whatever championship level is, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think the, the big question with the bucks is always, you know, do you have enough isolation offense from the big three? Uh, and we've seen, I mean, even when they won the championship, there's a Brooklyn Nets game where Drew Holiday starts off two for 15 and then hits three massive shots late. And it's like, oh, okay, they do have enough offense. But they didn't have enough offense for the first four quarters. Like it, It's this tough kind of balance of, do you have enough offense between the big three of Giannis, Drew, and Chris? And the same question goes for Giannis, right? Like, can he create in the clutch? Is he going to be able to get to the rim? Is he going to have a jumper that he trusts? Does he have a hook shot that he trusts? All of that. And then the other question is, okay, let's look at the rest of the roster. Can those guys hit threes? And I think kind of what's happened with Middleton out is that the two main guys that were around for most of it, Drew and Giannis, had to do a little bit too much. They're really trying to get their own. And then the other guys... 
the whole league knew that they didn't have Chris Middleton, right? Like you can see the scouting report. So if you're Grayson Allen, guess what? You're not getting open threes. If you're Bobby Portis, no open threes. Pat Connaughton, no open threes. You are going to get run off the line, which is what they saw in the playoffs last year. And when they didn't have Chris Middleton against the Celtics, they didn't have enough offense. But I do think when Middleton comes back, that helps it. And, and honestly, I had some pretty serious questions about Joe Ingles and whether or not he had anything left in the tank. Um, he, as if if you're not familiar with Joe Ingles, he was already slow and white. Uh, is Joe Ingles <laughs> would, would like tell you like I'm like an old slow white dude I, literally the first I was story say, this is a panel of experts right here <laughs> right so like the the first story I wrote about him this year was him saying like yeah everyone knows like I'm an old slow white dude and he is and maybe he has lost a step with the torn ACL as he's come back from it uh but when I watch that dude play, he knows how to make a pass. He knows how to get guys open. Uh, he's hit Brooke Lopez on the roll more consistently than anyone on the team outside of probably Chris Middleton. Uh, he's found Giannis for lobs. Like, I think they will have enough juice. And and I think it's been interesting to watch. Uh, this Bucks team has scored, I think it's 130-plus in five of their last seven games. Uh, four of those, obviously, with Chris Middleton. And essentially, you're just seeing everyone uh, move the ball, hit threes. And you're talking about vibes, like the vibes have picked up. And and I think one thing that, that's been interesting throughout this season is uh, this is really one of like the first years on – on this beat for me where I go into an opposing arena and the question I get from someone isn't about like, Oh, you know, what's going on with the team, uh, their offense or their defense, the, the nerdy basketball questions that uh, you would ask me, Sam, uh, people normally He's ask me those this agrees. year. I know uh, this year it's been like, dude, what's going on in that locker room? Huh? Must be crazy in sure. there right now. And the thing, like I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint people, but like the thing I have to keep telling people is, these dudes like winning, and they start off nine and zero, and then they pretty much went five hundred for that's about two months. They didn't have fun. It was not fun doing that every night. And right. now for the last two weeks, they're scoring hundred thirty every night. They're winning a bunch of games, and believe it or not, the vibes are great. <laughs> like <laughs> Funny how that I, I know it's weird that, you know, a team that's used to winning wins again and then things are, are, are feeling good again. So uh, I do think they have enough offensively. The vibes are, are getting better. And it, to me, it's gonna be really interesting to see one, if uh, to go to Slater's point, if they settle for Jay Crowder, if that's the only move that they make or if they have their eyes on something bigger. John Horst has always been incredibly aggressive this time of year. Uh, he always tries to go out there and add that last piece. So I'm curious if they – we talked about all the concerns about Jay Crowder. Is that big enough? Maybe they want to try to throw around that 2029 first and find someone even better that can juice up the offense even more. Um, Any so, names, Eric? You got to you, – you know, you're tease, teasing the sure. audience like that. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think Bojan Bogdanovic is someone that's very interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see what his price ends up being. Uh, I think the Raptors guys are probably too expensive. Or mainly. Bogdan, by the way. I think Bogdan's being overlooked here. You, you can call about Bogdan, too. I think I think you could as well. Um, so I do think like there Especially are... Especially with their 
well chronicled history between the two. <laughs> they they certainly have each other's numbers. Yeah. I, we, we can confirm that much. Um, so yeah, I, I do think like there are some some of those pieces that maybe could be had for a first. I think that's that's like the question that the Bucks have to kind of answer here is like how far do you push in? How far away are you? And and I think that'll be kind of interesting to see like see that sort itself out and then just see how good the offense can get in the final two months of the season. Real quick here, guys, before we let Eric get out of here, we, we're going to bring in uh, Wizards beat writer Josh Robbins in just a moment to, to take a, a quick pivot there. But here's my last thought on the Giannis MVP front, and uh, shout out to my guy Marcus Thompson. We had a wonderful offline conversation yesterday that, that would have made for its own good pod uh, or two days ago about Jokic versus Embiid MVP-wise, and not just basketball, culturally, all these things that you see us talking about online. and. But one of the parts that was part of the conversation is the idea that last year when Jokic won it, that certainly part of the calculus analysis narrative, if you will, was that he didn't have help and he put that team on his back and got them to, I think, 48 wins. Um, And so the question became like, you know, I thought that was the narrative last year. Well, what's the narrative this year with Jokic? And it made me think about Giannis, which is like you said it at at the top here, Eric, like we're not really talking about the fact that Giannis essentially has a very similar version of that narrative. And the idea that they are within, you know, arm's reach of Boston with that, you know, with Chris missing all this time, with Drew missing all this time, and with everything else that you chronicled, I do think that uh, it wasn't necessarily where Marcus and I took the conversation as far as Jokic and Bede and Bede Jokic. It, it kind of left me going, well, damn, like Giannis is a monster over here. And if he finishes strong and, and you know, who the hell knows, hits a few mid-range jumpers, then could he be the three-time MVP? Um, you know, to me, it is it is very much within reach for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something where I think Giannis kind of thought, like, all right, I won the two, then we flamed out in the playoffs. I'm probably not getting MVP votes for a while. Uh, and I think last year he saw that, oh, I can get MVP votes again. Like, that – People will vote for me again, right. and I do think that kind of reawakened the idea that like, oh, I maybe I don't have to. I don't even know that maybe the Bucks don't have to be the one seed or whatever. Like, maybe I can go get another MVP, and I think it'll be interesting to watch because you're right. Like, if if Christmas is the whole season and they do this, then I think you have the exact same argument. I think it's going to get a little bit hairy because Chris only misses. I mean, if he plays the final two months, he'll miss, you know, 35, 40 games. Um, and I don't know if that'll be enough for people to be like, Oh, he dragged, that's he dragged the bucks man. all the way. I mean, they I, are one I game behind. That's what's crazy. I'm a, I don't know how you guys see it. I'm a sucker for when it, when push comes to shove on MVP analysis, I, 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 you know, a lot of times in terms of team success, I'm that guy that will change the drop down menu to league versus conference. And so I just did that. And and league wise, just record wise, they are one game behind Denver. So in terms of if you have the Jokic Giannis debate, I think there's a strong argument to be made that in terms of team success, it is incredibly impressive that the Bucks are one game behind a Nuggets team that is, you know, for the most part, fully stocked. Yeah. I think there's a very strong argument for Giannis, but I think the tough part with this league this season is, I mean, you can do the same thing for five other dudes, right? Like, there's a it's lot of open. good basketball. There's, there's, there's a lot of good basketball being played. So um, I do think I, I was a little bit surprised on, like, the straw polls and stuff like that not to see as much Giannis as I thought might be in there. But 
as we've seen, these things can change quickly. In another right. month, if the Bucks are first in the East, I'm sure the next straw poll will say, oh, yeah, Giannis is, is back in the top five for MVP. Eric, appreciate you, man. It's been a while since we had you on. Um, really look forward to people enjoying your Giannis piece. And as always, it wasn't just a... You know, uh, a brief sit down. It was it was absolutely digging in to the way his basketball mind works, which is your style. So keep up the good work. Thank you for jumping on. Appreciate you, brother. For sure. See you guys later. All right. We will be back in uh, just a moment with Mr. Josh Robbins from the Wizards beat to break things down there and, and continue around the league. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. All right, we are back. And uh, listen, we are now on the YouTube channel, gentlemen, for the entire show. This is a new revelation. And that means a couple of things here as we bring in the great Josh Robbins from the Wizards Beat and uh, and a good friend of mine. Is That means that Josh and I, next time he's on, we're going to have to talk about wardrobe and the fact that you know we're sitting here rocking the same athletic jacket today. We, we did not plan this. Uh, so... You know, we are basically out here as in, you know, free YouTube athletic commercial, I guess, being good company men. Uh, Josh, what's up, sir? How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm a little bit confused. I'm, I'm very happy to be invited on this pod for once. Damn. And then, and, shots and then, fired. No, not shots fired. But then I look here on my screen and I see Fred and Anthony and Andrew and you, Sam, and it makes me wonder, is this, Sam, your kind of way of hosting an intervention for me 
<laughs> I don't I don't understand what that means. Well, it maybe maybe you guys want to intervene on some of my behaviors or whatever, uh personal life choices, anything like that. Uh this is the normal crew, brother. This is the normal well, crew. Josh, well, I can the fact Josh, that you have can, me on is I can what, intervene is what is. on something. <laughs> I can intervene on something. Let's from, go for from it. From personal experience, Josh. I think I think you need to get away from the wizards. It's <laughs> it, it it's a really it's a really treacherous emotional process. They they consume you. They're all I like the NBA referees have had so many sleepless nights just <laughs> rolling around wondering about that $9,000 comically small Otto Porter trade exception from 2018. It is it is a it's a, it's man, a you thought a, we nerded look, out on the bucks Slater we're in trouble When here, you man. cover the Wizards Big you are time. part of 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 a fraternity that's just like you've you've gone through it. That's, that's not a fraternity that's, that's, that's really having any fun. I don't that, think that's, that's Fred, the fraternity. Fred, he's coming from covering the Orlando Magic for you know h- however many years you could. Did, how many years did you cover the Magic, Josh? Thirteen years. But let's move off this, guys. I'm happy covering the team I cover, <laughs> and let's just. Hey, they got a big three forming. They're going to commit hey, to Kuzma, Porzingis, Beal, Sam. Next time. Don't destroy my my would be attempt at a joke by saying intervention. What do you mean? I was confused. <laughs> you gotta you gotta come down to talk to me, and and apparently uh, so. Yeah, apparently so. All right. So Fred was giving me a hard time before you came on about my recent infatuation with the Wizards, but with all due respect to that group, it's not necessarily on court related. It's that time of year. You know what I mean? They are a really interesting time when it comes to trade deadline season. And we saw the Rui Hachimura trade with the Lakers. We just talked to Eric name on the Bucks front about, you know, some of the different iterations of a Rui trade that did not happen that involved the Bucks. But I um, wonder, Josh, what is your updated sense of this Wizards group? You know, when it comes to the way they're forming the roster, um, you know, the Cal Kuzma situation is one of the more high profile ones. Of late, uh, read your Q&A with Kyle, which was good stuff, where you got a chance to get his perspective on his situation. At that time, he indicated that he had not had any you know, real direct conversation with management about what his free agency plans were. They do seem, I think you would agree, pretty confident in the ability to resign him in the summer, and they do seem to continue to signal that he is part of their plan. And, and kind of like Fred alluded to, the idea of a, a Porzingis, Beal, Kuzma, big three seems to be the, the way they are heading. But how do you see it? It seems that way. It seems that way. Everything you said about the Wizards uh, exuding confidence in their ability to keep Kyle Kuzma is, is accurate. Uh, they have not entertained uh, trade, co- really trade inquiries from people who would like to bring him aboard. So, yes, I read it the same way. Um, I find it difficult to believe that Kuzma or Kuzma's agent and the Wizards haven't had some sort of dialogue, but of course he can't say that in an article when he's. Uh, I mean, that's also why you quoted. have an agent, right? You know, right. Like that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, the reality is, is that if they weren't confident that they could retain Kyle Kuzma, they wouldn't say, "Oh, you know, Josh or Fred or Sam, we're not confident <laughs> we can keep him." <laughs> so the reality, yes, I think that they are confident. I think. Uh, there's also the possibility that they're kind of playing poker there. And uh, we will know for certain where, the, how confident they truly are at 3.01 PM Eastern on Thursday, February 9th, but which is a cop out, but 
also, I think they are confident that they can keep him. Well, and to your point, I think the rumblings would be louder, at least by now, if they were saying one thing to media types and then, you know, and then opening up dialogue more so with other teams. And we're not seeing that. And then it begs the question. I don't know which one of you guys feels like diving in, but it does beg the question basketball wise that, you know, is is that a prudent plan? Is that the way to go? You know, they occasionally rather get described as you know it's the blazers get called the the wizards of the west and, and vice versa you've got this damian lillard bradley beal parallel this idea that you're continuing to build around a guy that is a you know elite phenomenal player on his own but but the uh the roster doesn't look anything remotely close to title contention worthy and so um basketball wise guys what do we think of of this idea that uh that they're going to keep going down that road. We got a Josh raised hand right there, so I'm sure. I'm not, I'm not sure what the protocol is on on this show for participation, but the the pandemic uh, Zoom days are over, Josh. You don't have to. Don't hit the official raised hand. But, you know that's good. What well, do you I'll got? raise I'll raise my hand if I wish. Um, <laughs> make, uh, there's a big difference between the two parallels. The parallels are is that Damian Lillard and the Blazers got further in the playoffs than the Wizards have with Beal as the unquestioned number one option right so uh, it's true that the wizards haven't had their so-called big three together very often but even when they have been together they haven't the team hasn't played very well now if you were to say the big three plus delon right well now then they might be on to something in terms of their desire to keep kyle kuzma i think that they are cognizant of the fact that right now the wizards are not a good free agent destination for whatever reason, which for all the off-court stuff boggles my mind because this is a great place to to live. As a matter of fact, Washington drew me as a kind of a free agent. So if they can draw me, why can't they draw players? Why is LeBron (laughs) James not there? That's the question. Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, Why did Dwight Howard go from Orlando to L.A. instead of Orlando to D.C.? He eventually played in D.C. He went to the Wizards, Sam, so... Well, he didn't Former want to Wizards go, great. He didn't want to go to the Lakers in that trade. That's right. I forgot about that. But we digress. Yes. Uh, are they going to be aggressive, they, they, Josh? Are they are they going to keep? Uh, okay, so Kyle doesn't appear to be on the table. I do get the sense that uh, even as a like, okay, we feel reasonably confident that we can resign Kyle, but but sure, it'd be better to make up his decision even easier if we if we go upgrade you know, around the edges now. That That is kind of an idea that has been sent my way, and I wonder how that lands with you. Do you think they're going to, if it's not Kyle, they're going to be aggressive here and, and try to, to improve somehow? Yes, I'm sure that they would love to improve, but as Fred and I have discussed many times, including on the award-winning uh, podcast Bullet Points hosted by Josh <laughs> Robbins, uh, the, the reality is... Can we is, name the awards that came Bullet Points way? Can, can we... I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yes, uh, Always the journalist, Sam. Thank you. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of assets to trade. And by assets, I'm talking about picks. Uh, because they owe the Knicks a protected 2023 uh, first-round pick that might not be conveyed all the way up to 2026, they can't trade any of their first-round picks until 2028, which makes it infinitely more difficult for them to bring aboard um, quality players. That's That's their situation now. Yes, they would like to upgrade for sure, but they are hamstrung. Would Denny Avdia bring back a good return? Uh, I think the I think the 
consensus among the league is mixed at best. So it's going to be tough for them to upgrade around the edges, I think. I think that's a that's a great point on the pick, Josh, because I know this past summer when they were trying to get in on the Donovan Mitchell stuff before Mitchell eventually went to Cleveland, one of the things that they were trying to do is they were trying to figure out a way that maybe they could get that 2023 pick somehow like unprotected or something like that so that then they could make a trade for Mitchell that would allow them to trade multiple first round picks for him moving forward. Of course, the Knicks were trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell. And if the Wizards are so desperately trying to make it so they're able to trade some extra picks, the Knicks can be like, oh, okay, well, we're not going to help you here because it's pretty obvious what you are trying to do in this scenario. So the Knicks weren't, weren't buying any of it. But that's kind of an obstacle that they have to overcome. I, I wouldn't be – Josh, I wouldn't be – I, I want to hear your thoughts on this though. Taking it down from like a star level sort of thing. And it's just like – trying to get better on the margins. Tommy Shepard has always kind of been obsessed with those DeLon Wright sorts of players, right? And right. They, those those kind of do the right things, play hard on defense, uh, you know, good, good advanced metrics sorts of guys. Like DeLon Wright is so much better than his counting numbers. Do you see them? Like I, I've heard some rumblings about them going after particular guys sort of of that ilk. Do you do you think that they're going to be able to pull something like that off? And 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 if or I should even ask you, how hard do you think they are trying to pull something like that off? And and then do you, do you see it as a, as a feasible thing that could happen? Well, they're going to work as hard as they can to do that. There's no question about that. Tommy Shepard has never been bashful in, in making trades. He, he loves to make trades. Uh, he loves to upgrade at the edges and try to then reach a critical mass in, in that fashion. But who do they have who is tradable who would bring back a return. Well, Monte Morris is a solid, though unspectacular point guard. I think there are several teams out there at least that would, that would like to have him. Uh, Denny would have kind of a mixed value, I think right now, uh, because of his offensive game, isn't quite up to par to his defensive game. Other than that, I'm just looking at the roster here. I'm not trying to avoid eye contact with you, you, you gents, but it's not uh, now that Rui is gone. They don't have too many other options to trade. Uh, never discount Tommy Shepard's ability to make lemonade out of lemons. He did that with the John Wall contract. Then he did it with the Westbrook contract. Arguably, he did it to a degree with the Hachimura deal. Um, so they're going to try, but I think it, it would take, no pun intended, Anthony, some magic for them to um, to pull off. Some wizardry. <laughs> Some I didn't wizardry. want to go there. That was that was a little too that was a little too simple. Yeah, is it, what is it with you and these these you know mystical teams, Josh? Are you ever going to cover a team that it doesn't sound like it's part of a Harry Potter movie? Raptors next. <laughs> Do I have to answer so, that ridiculous so I, no, question? No. <laughs> so I have a I have I have a follow up here. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some wizards propaganda that they will happily throw out at people, which is that. We look, no matter what they say, they are very obviously a team that just wants to try to get into the playoffs. All that being said, when Bradley Beal plays this year, they actually have a winning record. And you look at their starting lineup, and when Monte Morris, Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma are on the floor, they're they're eviscerating teams. 
Like they are killing teams, no matter whether it's Daniel Gafford out there and they've been really good with Gafford in the starting lineup or Denny Avdia when he was starting earlier in the year and has been really good, by the way, since the Hachimura trade. How much of their confidence that like, okay, we're locking into this roster is just based on the fact that those three guys especially clearly play well together versus just like, okay, it's the Wizards and they are just going to try to get into the play-in tournament because that's the objective and that's what they do. It's an objective reality that they haven't had their core together for the vast majority of the season. That's true. And if anyone on YouTube was watching my face as you were asking that very good question, Fred, and noticed that I wasn't quite looking at the screen, it's because I was calling up these numbers. And you're right. Any three-team line, any three-man lineup of Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma has a 5.4 net rating. So they outscore opponents by 5.4 points over 100 possessions. That's really good. However, and there is a however here, the team is only 11 and 12 when all three guys have played. So that's a problem. What they would then counter and say is that when all three of those guys plus DeLon Wright, their best perimeter defender plays, then they're really good. Isn't it interesting that maybe one of the most important people on the entire roster is DeLon Wright? They are now 14 and six in games that he's played. Uh, I'm not suggesting DeLon Wright is a star player, but to the Washington Wizards, his value is much stronger, much higher than it's been in any of DeLon Wright's previous stops. It's been a good no, And that's fit. kind of the beauty of the game, right? Like it, it doesn't make him a star, but it's, it's a team game and, and he obviously fits in well. Um, Josh, let me go big picture a little bit um, before we let you out of here and uh, appreciate you coming on. Slater is bouncing, I think. Thanks, brother. Um, I want to know your thoughts on... Big picture meaning ownership management, the Ted Leonsis experience. You know, Tommy Shepard's been there a number of years now, and and almost out of fairness, I feel like mentioning that, you know, we had a piece recently looking at Bob Meyer's situation with the Warriors and the fact that he doesn't have a contract beyond this season. And and I, you know, had reported in there that, <clears throat> excuse me, the Knicks, the Wizards, and the Suns were seen as situations to monitor down the line uh, in terms of potential destinations for Bob. Now, admittedly, those are tricky things to report because you're, you're hitting on, you know, teams that, that have a guy uh, running the team. And Tommy, uh, you know, is, is somebody who is, is still in the, in the uh, trenches, so to speak, doing his thing and trying to get this team to a better place. But just thoughts on, on, on Tommy's uh, position and, and kind of just the ownership slash management dynamics and, and feeling right now. Ted Leonsis has a reputation for being remarkably patient. Uh, he stuck by Ernie Grunfeld for a long period of time until they wound up not getting Kevin Durant and then signed several guys with that cap space to deals that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, he's also been patient even on the capital side. So that's generally where he's been. However, the Wizards franchise historically, and Fred will confirm this and even preceding Fred's time, this has always been a franchise that is almost desperate to try to make headlines in terms of a, a splashy move. Right. Uh, in For this sure. case, in this case, uh, you're talking about a potential splashy move in the front office. Uh, so it wouldn't be totally out of the question to conceive of some sort of scenario in which the wizards try to get Bob Myers. And then if they somehow did sign him to a deal that they could say, 
wow, look at us. We have Bob Myers now. Come buy tickets. <laughs> um, watch well, our games. They, as you know, they and pursued Masai Ujiri and Tim Conley. You know, right. um, they've done this before. That's true. And uh, so I, I think that your reporting has has legs, Sam. I don't think that uh, I don't think that it's totally. But out it doesn't of the sound question. like Tommy is in terms of just you know the the ground beneath him. Uh, it doesn't sound like you you see that as as tenuous. No, but I also think that we have to remember that it was the owner who decided, or at least not only dis, at least consented or at least wanted the Wizards to resign Bradley Beal to a five year max deal. So Tommy Shepard, even if he wanted to sign Beal on his own, is still operating under the kind of the plan that has been kind of put into place, or at least the directions that have been put on, into place by Leonsis. So it's difficult to hold him accountable for the decision to re-sign Beal to a very large contract over five years when it was the owner who very much was on board with that. Right. Uh, that's, that's, it, he's playing within the rules or the, the boundaries that Ted Leonsis um, at least endorsed, perhaps pushed. Right. Right. Good stuff. Josh, I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Um, we uh, will figure our wardrobe out next time you come on the show. I mean, all athletic is, is better than no athletic, so we checked that box. But thank you, brother. Fred and Anthony look great, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well said, well said. I just want to say, Sam, before we go. Yes, sir. About a month ago, about a month ago, I was pushing you in our Slack to talk more about the Wizards on the podcast. I wanted to talk about the Wizards. I was trying to convince you that they were interesting. You were against it. I pushed you, and then I got to talk about the Wizards, and you and Slater sat there on the Zoom as I was really just ranting like a wild man about the Wizards, and just actively said nothing. I've never felt so unlistened to while recording a podcast <laughs> and then made fun of me about how little you cared about anything that I said. I, I can't think of a, of a, of a more unprofessional podcast moment wow. in my entire life. And, and this then cyberbullying for the last, <laughs> and then for like three straight podcasts, I try to convince you they're interesting. You say no. And then for three straight podcasts, they we talk about the Wizards. And then we get on the Slack. They're totally interesting. And then we get onto the yep. Slack this week and you're like, oh, I invited Josh Robbins. We're talking Wizards. So Sam, I just want to say, welcome to the dark side. You will have many sleepless nights thinking about auto porter trade exceptions too. I don't it's, know, it's brother. It's a fun time. Come, let's talk on February 10th. Uh, that, that, that flame might be out. <laughs> We shall see. All right, guys. Josh, again, I appreciate you. Fred, stop picking on me. And we'll talk to you guys next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.